Hi, I'm Scott Maslow, film and TV critic for TheWeek.com, and today I'd like to share the sexist and empowering history of the femme fatale. If you've ever read a hard-boiled detective novel or seen a film noir, the first scene of Sundance TV's new southern crime thriller, Happen Leonard, will seem very, very familiar. Okay, here comes trouble. Can you be nice for once? You just watch her. I'm watching. That's not what I'm talking about. If she does it again, don't come crying to me. I look like a fool to you. And then some. That exchange is between the show's title characters, Hap and Leonard. Leonard is a gay Vietnam vet who quite obviously doesn't care for Hap's ex-wife, Trudy. In the TV show, Trudy is played by Christina Hendricks, and we can judge her intentions for ourselves. But in the Joe Lansdale novel Savage Season, which the TV show is based on, this warning, Here Comes Trouble, is merely the first thing we learn about Trudy. The second thing we learn about Trudy is how good she looks. The very first page of Savage Season is largely dedicated to establishing Trudy as the kind of woman who could charm a man into doing stupid, self-destructive things. In short, Trudy isn't just a femme fatale. She's the platonic ideal of the femme fatale, a gorgeous woman who can use her raw, seductive power to dupe a hapless man into doing her bidding. That description gets to the fundamental paradox at the heart of the femme fatale archetype. Is it sexist to portray a woman as a manipulative, calculating succubus? Is it empowering to portray a woman who is comfortable with her sexuality and willing to use it in pursuit of her own ends? Or is it some blend of both? If you want to trace the cultural history of the femme fatale, you might as well start with patient zero, Eve. Eve is the first woman who ended up snaring a hapless guy named Adam. When God created Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. They presumably would have continued like that if Eve hadn't eaten the fruit of the tree of knowledge and enticed Adam into breaking God's strict instructions by doing the same. And it ended, like the best noir, on a down note, as God discovered what they'd done and banished them from the Garden of Eden. To be fair to Eve, the average femme fatale certainly acts with more malicious intent. But the basic archetypal narrative of a woman tempting a man into his own downfall turns out to be a culturally pervasive one. You can see it recur in mythology, in figures like Circe and Clytemnestra. It recurs in folklore, in figures like Succubi and Yukiona. And even history, in our collective understanding of figures like Cleopatra, Lucrezia Borgia, and Matahari. For all these historical precedents, the modern-day femme fatale is deeply rooted in noir, a mystery subgenre unique in its cynicism and nihilism. The genre sprung from a slew of literary classics that were all adapted into films that became classics in their own right. Some highlights include Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. Well, how'd you happen to pick out this place? Maybe I wanted to hold your hand. Oh, that can be arranged. And James M. Cain's Double Indemnity. How do you do, Mr. Dietrichson? I'm Walter Nett, Pacific All Risk. I've been trying to contact your husband for the past two weeks, but he's never in his office. Is there anything I can do? The insurance ran out on the 15th. I'd hate to think of you having a smashed fender or something while you're not uh, fully covered. In each of these stories, the root of the central conflict can be traced to the actions of a femme fatale who uses her unapologetic sexuality as a kind of blunt cudgel against the male protagonist. Such overtly carnal narratives stood out from the relatively staid films of the era. But the equation of non-marital sexual desire with evil is as puritanical as it gets. The femme fatale allows the audience to have it both ways, enjoying the vicarious, prurient sexuality while knowing she'll eventually be punished for it. But while there's an undeniable moralism in the roots of these kinds of stories, a closer look reveals something more complicated. Noir is like horror, another boundary-pushing genre that has long offered a paradoxical balance of regressive and progressive. 
Noir films also offered substantial, multifaceted, and groundbreaking roles to actresses at a time when depicting a flushing toilet on a movie screen was considered too risque. When else could a woman play the villain? When else could a woman be overtly sexual? And when else could sex be depicted as such a blatant tool of power and pleasure, so utterly divorced from childbirth and motherhood? And as modern storytellers reinterpreted the archetype with an increasingly sympathetic lens, it shifted. By the 1990s, a watershed era for the erotic thriller, femme fatales were routinely the heroes, not the villains, of their own stories. Take Sharon Stone's infamous leg crosser in 1992's Basic Instinct. Would you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? I had sex with him for about a year and a half. I liked having sex with him. He wasn't afraid of experimenting. Or Linda Fiorentino's should have been nominated for an Oscar performance in 1994's The Last Seduction. Could you leave? Please. Well, I haven't finished charming you yet. You haven't started. Give me a chance. Go find yourself a nice little cowgirl, make nice little cow babies, and leave me alone. Or Kim Basinger's actually won her an Oscar performance in 1997's L.A. Confidential. You're different, Officer White. You're the first man in five years who didn't tell me I look like Veronica Lake inside of a minute. You look better than Veronica Lake. By and large, the men in these stories are still hapless dupes. But this time, we're invited to empathize and cheer on the women who are savvy enough to exploit them. And as the femme fatale archetype shifted toward female empowerment, some women began owning it outright. In 2002, Brian De Palma simply dubbed his Rebecca Romaine-starring erotic thriller Femme Fatale, confident that audiences would understand the shorthand. Today, if you cast a wide enough net, you'll find the basic DNA of the femme fatale being conjured up and subverted all the time. Take Gone Girl, an icy thriller that drops a femme fatale into a modern, disintegrating marriage. And my lazy, lying, cheating, oblivious husband will go to prison for my murder. Or 2015's Ex Machina, an indie noir sci-fi thriller with a femme fatale that happens to be a robot. Hello, Caleb. Do you have a name? Yes. Ava. That's the beauty of archetypes. As soon as you feel like they're set in stone, someone comes along to reinvent them all over again. For more on this story, go to theweek.com slash audio. If you'd like to listen to more of The Week's daily podcasts, you can subscribe to them on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you took a moment to rate our podcasts on iTunes. I'm Scott Meslow, and thanks so much for listening.